Bloomington Normal is about to send its first student to its Japanese sister city since the pandemic. You can learn it from books and from like a teacher, but if you experience it firsthand, that's a different thing. But the program needs host families to return the favor. A deeper dive coming up on WGLT's Sound Ideas. Good afternoon, I'm John Norton. Also on today's show, Bloomington Normal's other sister cities program with Russia remains on hold because of the war in Ukraine. We have so much in common, but all these differences show up and get in our way. A new budget, but no ethics reform. A state capital reporter recaps the recent legislative session, and you'll hear the latest winner of Bloomington's Black History Essay Contest. Those stories follow a Bloomington Normal News update, which is just ahead. This is WGLT Sound Ideas on 89.1 and WGLT.org, part of the NPR network. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. Here My Story continues with local patient Bill McKay. My second piece of advice would just be talk to somebody that's wearing some hearing aids. Boy, after I got them and now that I'm wearing them, I, I wear them every day now. I'm a member. I'm in that club. I get it. And it's okay to be here. Bill's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com. On the campus of Illinois State University in Normal, this is WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas. I'm John Norton. A student foreign exchange program for Bloomington Normal has returned after a three-year hiatus. WGLT's Eric Stock reports organizers hope the program can grow to where it was decades ago. Arissa Mahatanankun of Normal will be a senior at University High School this fall, though she won't actually be at UHI. Mahatanankun will go to school at Asakawa, Japan. Mahatanankun says she's not fluent in Japanese, but is taking lessons. She says she believes she can pick it up quickly once she's there. I've heard stories about people who've kind of picked it up just by involving themselves and just making conversations with other people. Mahatanankun is the first Bloomington Normal student to take part in the Sister City's student exchange with Asayakawa since the pandemic. The program dates to the 1960s. It halted in March 2020 when students returned to their home countries. Jeffrey Crush is one of the leaders in the Asayakawa Sister Cities program. He's eager to see the student exchange resume. It's really special to me that we are just now returning to the activities that we rely upon and use to build that connection. Crush teaches language arts at Bloomington Junior High School and heads up the Sister Cities Junior Ambassador Program. It sends 15 junior high and high school students to Japan for two weeks over the summer. That, too, has been on hold since 2020. Crush was part of the 2017 Junior Ambassador trip and hopes to take another group next year. He says the free room and board with the Japanese family makes it a bargain. I talk to other parents who send students all the time to summer programs in the States that end up costing upwards of $2,000. But for the cost of airfare, we can get uh, a, an eighth grader through freshman or sophomore year of high school, we can get them to a Saikawa for a full two-week program. Crush says the Junior Ambassador Program has remained on hold, partly because families in Asakawa were reluctant to host foreign students. Japan until recently still had COVID rules for travelers. Finding host families is a challenge for Jeffrey Crush and the Bloomington Normal Sister Cities, too. Asakawa has a high school senior who will attend Normal Community High School this fall. Crush says he'd like to have up to three families to rotate hosting duties throughout the school year, 
there are no takers so far. The student typically has a great time with their school and relating to any host siblings that they might have. Now, our goal is to really make connections and make it feel valuable for the family that's receiving the student. Christ says host families must have school-aged children, preferably in the same school, and must cover student transportation to and from school. The Sister Cities program used to have multiple exchange students each year. That stopped in the 1990s because of a shortage of host families in Japan. Christ would like to see more host families because he says there's plenty of student interest. We have a lot of really excellent candidates in the Bloomington Normal area who are interested, and I feel it's a bit of a shame that we can only send one at a time. And this year's exchange student, Arissa Mahatanankun from Yuhai, says she wanted to visit Japan ever since the fourth grade when she started learning about Japanese culture through a Saturday school program at Thomas Metcalf School in Normal. I hope to get to understand more about Japanese culture firsthand because I guess you can learn it from books and from like a teacher, but if you experience it firsthand, that's a different that's a different thing. Mahatanankun says she plans to go to college after high school, but she's not sure where. If this experience goes well, Mahatanankun says she might want to take another exchange program in another part of the world. I'm Eric Stock. The Bloomington Normal Asahakawa Sister Cities program will also mark 60 years since its founding. A delegation that includes the city's mayor will come to Bloomington Normal in late July. Their trip includes a tour of Rivian. The electric vehicle plant replaced the Japanese automaker Mitsubishi plant that was operated there for decades. Thanks for listening to Sound Ideas on WGLT. Bloomington Normal also has a separate sister cities program with Vladimir, Russia and Canterbury, England. Those exchange programs also stopped during COVID, and it's not clear when they will resume exchange visits. Margaret Ann Hayden is president of the Bloomington Normal Vladimir Canterbury Sister Cities Association. She tells WGLT's Eric Stock those visits are now on hold because of Russia's war in Ukraine. The U.S. Embassy is not issuing visas, and the U.S. U.S. has suspended its open world program that sponsors Russian citizens who come to the United States. And it's trying to do one-on-one connecting and showing them what the free world is about. And we usually do at least one or maybe two of those a year. And so those are not offered for Russian citizens at this point. They're offered for the satellite countries, but not for uh, Russia itself. What do you feel was lost by not being able to have uh, folks from Vladimir on U.S. soil and vice versa? Well, we have great friendships with Vladimir and our uh, Illinois State University has a great relationship uh, with the kinesiology program. uh, And they send students over there uh, every year. And of course, we support that. We're not involved in that program, but we support that program when the uh, delegation is here and provide housing if needed or uh, a dinner or whatever they would like. Um, But I think uh, a lot is just lost in international relations because we have so much in common, but all these differences show up and get in our way. And at the start of the war, the Sister Cities Committee had made clear that it wanted to maintain its relationship with Vladimir. Uh, in spite yes. of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now that that war is well into its second year, how is that sister city's relationship now? Is there any residual effect from from that war and the tensions surrounding it? 
I would say our relationships is, is maybe stronger in that we have regular communications with them. We uh, talk several times a year uh, and we, and our group here has initiated um, Zoom meetings with Vladimir and Canterbury and we choose a topic and uh, last year we did art architecture and this year we're doing a more of a variety of topics but each country's doing one to two presentations on zoom and we all participate and we're all friendly but we don't talk about the war we do not know for sure what our uh, colleagues know about the war we're not sure what they're told and if we would bring it up and talk to them, we're not sure whether they would be punished or not. So we really don't talk about the war, but it's always kind of under the surface. And by what they are told, you mean what kind of media they are consuming, whether it's state-sponsored or otherwise? We're not sure what the media. Uh, we know that our former students that we've had here as high school exchange students appear to know what's going on through um other sources of media, but of course not from the official government. Do you believe that there are Russian students that would be willing to come to the U.S.? Uh, I don't believe so. I think part of it is the last time we had an exchange, um, the Vladimir committee chooses the student who comes. And the top choice would not come because uh their parents didn't think it was safe in this country. You know, we get a, a lot of bad publicity with shootings and so on that go on. But the one that did come had a great time, a great experience. She didn't want to go home, but she really wanted to go home, but she wanted to come back to come to college. But of course, that's not really feasible for them because they can't afford to do that. Do you have hope that this uh, partnership will be able to resume at some point in the future with... Well, we have hope, but I don't know. Even if the war ends, I don't know if the politics will let us do it. It's a neat experience. I really think I really value uh, foreign exchange. I really value foreign travel for everyone. I think it's, it's uh, really enlightens a person and widens their horizon. But I'm not sure that um, how that will work because, for instance, uh, Russians can't get visas to come here because they can get a visa, but they can't get a visa in Russia. They'd have to go to another country to get a visa to come to the U.S. How do you think about your friends in Vladimir, given the fact that uh, they're involved in a war that has been almost universally condemned? They're not the ones fighting it, but it's the country in which they live. How do you think about that? I don't think the individuals that we work with necessarily, uh, I don't blame them for the war or for any of the wrongdoings that's going on. I just believe that they're in a situation that they can't control. There's good human beings and there's bad human beings in every country. And we have to look on the good side and, and try to work for the better, betterment of the world. That was Margaret Ann Hayden, president of the Bloomington Normal Vladimir Canterbury Sister Cities Association. She spoke with WGLT's Eric Stock. Congress is set to vote tonight on a plan to raise the debt ceiling and avoid an economic collapse. 
You'll hear Bloomington Normal reaction from the votes on tomorrow's Sound Ideas. That's here on WGLT. I'm John Norton. Let's shift now to state government. Illinois lawmakers have left Springfield after passing a $50 billion annual budget. Democrats also used their supermajorities to push through a number of other bills that Republicans opposed. Let's bring Eric Stock back into the show. Here's here's conversation with State House reporter Cameron Cutanello. So the big story of every spring legislative session is the budget. Lawmakers approved it. It didn't seem to take very long to get a budget passed once lawmakers started debating it, but it's still but lawmakers still miss their self-imposed deadline to get it done the week before Memorial Day. So what was holding it up? Yeah, so session did go um, a week past the schedule, scheduled May 19th adjournment. Um, just for some context, they usually go into Memorial Day weekend and end up working on Memorial Day. Um, so we did avoid that this year. But one of the main delays came from a program which gives Medicaid-style health care to undocumented residents. Um, that was It's forecasted to cost a bit more than they initially planned for. Um, so the budget that they ended up um passing um, gives $550 million to this program, which is about half of the $1.1 billion that the program is expected to need. So there was a good amount of debate between the Democratic Party leaders about how exactly to go about handling that. Um, and so the compromise that they ultimately reached was they passed a separate piece of legislation, which gives the governor rulemaking powers to try and control costs and control enrollment at that program. And that seemed to be the Republicans' main concern about the bill since this budget vote went along party lines? Yeah. So the Republicans had um, a lot of their usual concerns about um, overspending. They're worried that ultimately this budget, um, with the budget plan, that spending is going to overshadow revenues and un- make, the ba- make the budget unbalanced. Um, but there were also two other things that Republicans wanted that they ultimately did not fully get. They wanted a $4 raise for caregiver workers who work with the developmentally disabled, and the budget gave a $2.50 raise. Um, so they were disappointed about that. And then they were also disappointed that the budget did not include an extension for the Investing Kids Scholarship Program, um, which gives residents a tax credit if they give scholarship donations to private schools. Illinois became the first state to approve a ban on book bans. It says libraries would lose state funding if they remove materials because of, quote, partisan or doctrinal disapproval. Book bans have been on the rise in other parts of the country in the latest culture war. How did that debate play out in Springfield? Yeah, it was certainly one of our um, spirited debates from session. Um, We had Republicans saying that these decisions should be left up to local library boards and that for the state to do this is an overreach. Um, They think that if books are inappropriate, then um, individual library boards should get to make the decision on whether or not to carry those books. Um, And then on the other side, we had Democrats saying that people should have access to all books and that it should be up to the individual person on what they read and don't read. And then we also had a further debate about school libraries um, with Republicans saying that there should be an exception for school libraries and Democrats still disagreeing and say that it should be up to the parents on what books their kids do and do not read. Were there any consequential votes that won anything close to bipartisan support? Yeah, there were a couple votes that got um, bipartisan support. Um, One big one is the end on 
the ban to nuclear construction. Um, that bill actually had a Republican sponsor in the Senate and a Democratic sponsor in the House. Um, so it ultimately split the Democratic Party with moderate Democrats siding with the Republicans and saying that these new plants should be built and more progressive Democrats questioning if nuclear energy really is green and questioning issues with waste disposal. Um, but a lot of the votes, such as gender-neutral bathrooms, ending deceptive practices at crisis pregnancy centers and full-day kindergarten were passed on partisan lines. There were several measures, including one on gun control, that came up this session but did not get across the finish line. Can you highlight a few of those and explain what happens now? Yeah, so some there was a couple bigger pieces of legislation that got kind of just proposed too late into session for it to go through the whole whole track in time. Um, one of these was a gun control bill, which would allow judges um, to order people who are subject to personal protection orders to surrender their weapons to law enforcement. There was another bill that has more than a dozen changes to cannabis law in Illinois, um, which would include allowing drive through and curbside sales. And then there is also one which includes some, um, some tax breaks for the bears as they move to Arlington Heights. So these bills um, a lot like the Investing Kids Act, will be taken up in veto session and further discussed um, to if whether or not they should pass. Um, so yeah, veto session, which is scheduled to start October 26. As we continue with Capitol reporter Cameron Cutinello, I'm Eric Stock. An issue that attracted a lot of attention for McLean County residents was the bill to expand the Bloomington Normal Airport Authority's tax base to include all of McLean County and not just Bloomington Normal. This was another party line vote. All McLean County Republican lawmakers voted against it. Democrats voted for it. How much discussion did this get uh, before the vote? Yeah, this one got um, a lot of debate in both committee and on the floor in both chambers. Um, in committees, you had representatives from McLean County um, coming out, um, and you have supporters of the legislation who are saying that the people in McLean County uh, benefit from this airport and they use the airport, and it's not just the residents of Bloomington Normal, and therefore everyone should pay taxes on it. Um, but you have the other side who is saying that it's unfair to raise taxes on McLean County residents for an airport that is in Bloomington Normal. And some good government advocates have called for strong ethics reform in state government after the Commonwealth Edison bribery convictions that were very recent and the federal charges that former House Speaker Mike Madigan faces. Was there any discussion at all about ethics reform in this session, or do lawmakers view this bribery case as a one-off? There's definitely a lot of discussion, but not a lot of action. We saw Republicans in both chambers coming out in support of passing an ethics reform package. Um, former Governor Pat Quinn came to Springfield to hold a press conference in support. Ultimately, the General Assembly did send a bill to the governor, which bans red light camera companies from making cam campaign contributions. And this follows multiple state and local politicians, including two state senators receiving federal indictments for bribery charges related to red light camera companies. Um, so this is kind of the only major legislation we saw, we saw passed for ethics reform, but there was certainly a lot of discussion about what can be done. That was State House reporter Cameron Cutanello and WGLT's Eric Stock. 
Sound Ideas is WGLT's news magazine. Thanks for listening. I'm John Norton. Bloomington primary and secondary school students have taken inspiration from a variety of black leaders in the nation's history. They range from well-known civil rights leaders to entertainers with important voices to black entrepreneurs who built business empires. WGLT is airing the voices of the students who have won awards in the City of Bloomington Black History King Essay Contest. Today, you're about to hear from 11-year-old Talise Lopez. Lopez is from Washington Elementary School and is the third place winner of the elementary school category in the contest. Raven Baxter, aka Raven the Science Maven, is an inspirational African-American that will continue to inspire for many years to come. She's a science genius with a PhD in science education. She is very passionate about teaching other science. Raven has many accomplishments, some of the biggest being the fact that she has a PhD in science education and is the co-founder of the communication program STEMBASY. Raven has devoted her life to teaching other minorities and giving everyone a voice in STEM. Raven Baxter has a passion for breaking through barriers in the science world and letting diverse voices be heard. Raven has earned numerous awards for her achievements, including State University of New York's Chancellor's Award for Student Excellence, Woman of Distinction Award from AAUW, American Association of University Women. She also started her own clothing line called Smarty Pants, which features STEM-themed apparel. 10% of the sales go toward college scholarships. Raven Baxter is influencing the next generation of not only African Americans, but also the next generation of females as well. She is part of the 5.5% of African Americans that are working in STEM. She has broken through many stereotypes in the science world and will continue to make the world a better place. She is inspiring not only because of her achievements, but also because of her passion and her determination to keep breaking down barriers in science. She is a role model for any young woman or person of color. I am personally inspired by the way she uses her platform to challenge misinformation. She even proved a controversial tweet made by Nicki Minaj as false. I would love to educate and inspire as much as she has in her life so far. I am also inspired by the way she has worked hard to get a position in a field that, still, to this day, doesn't have much diversity. Raven Baxter is changing the future, one step at a time. As she once said, free yourself from societal construct and you can operate in ways you didn't know possible. This quote sums up a lot of what she stands for. She is changing the culture of STEM education by ignoring the stereotypes of society and changing the way things are done. As an aspiring author, I am motivated and inspired by her determination and passion for what she does. I would love to have those things in not only my job, but in my life, too. Her story and her determination is not just inspiring the science community, but also anyone who has to work hard and push through barriers to achieve their dream. That's Talise Lopez, one of the winners of the City of Bloomington's Black History Essay Contest. The audio of Lopez's speech was produced by WGLT's Charlie Schlenker. And that's Sound Ideas today. WGLT's news magazine made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm John Norton with lots of story help today from WGLT's Eric Stock, also from Charlie Schlenker. The show was produced by Samantha Hill. This is 89.1 WGLT and WGLT.org, part of the NPR Network. Thank you.